demons, demigorgons, and demigods, and welcome to the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, coming at you once again with part two of my interview with Damien Moyal of Damien Dunn as Friends Rust, Culture, and a million other really fucking amazing bands. This second part of the episode is where things begin to get a lot deeper, a lot heavier, and a lot more interesting. In a few more weeks, my Patreon page will be up and running so we can help pay some of the bills around here, and you can get some great extras, including t-shirts, extra episodes, and a lot more fun stuff that will be forthcoming. You can catch all that on my Instagram page, which is Book of Very, Very Bad Things at Instagram.com. Without further ado, I give to you Mr. Damien Moyal on the Book of Very, Very Bad Things. Yeah. Just got like pulled into this band because he plays guitar and he has equipment. That's Rich Cipriano of Sick of It All. Playing. Someone else is writing the songs and he's just writing like parts to go along with them but like in a year or two that guy will be a hardcore kid but at this moment like he's not i mean i was in those bands where i was like giving you know like uh the way it is like you know comp or whatever to like other dudes in the band just being like so just listen to this stuff you'll hear it's like there's a little metal in it but it's kind of punk but it's different and it's a little tougher and it's a little you know, and to, to, to like Pantera guys. Yeah. You know, um, the band that I was doing before I joined Culture, which we only wrote a few songs, uh, uh, never played. It was called Hand Over Fist. And it was my attempt to like uh, will a hardcore into being from the ashes of a death metal band. <laughs> you know, with people, with a with a, a drummer and a guitarist who I don't even think were really death metal kids, let alone like hardcore kids. I think they were like they were in this death metal band because the singer, other guitarist, songwriter guy was a death metal guy, and he yeah. needed people, so he was like, "I'll pull in these like thrash guys," you know? Yeah. And then I, after that, I ended up with them. It's just like you're just listening to this shelter tape and this uh you know new york hardcore comp you'll 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 get it it's simpler dump dumb everything that you're doing down (laughs) Um, and then i joined culture but like yeah you you always uh you always have those guys in the band that are like just like you know there's the dude who's like i don't know man i just listen to like dead kennedys um or the yeah the metal guy in a hardcore band um yeah well in 1988 i was i was pulled into a hardcore band and like i liked punk but my favorite band was the cure you know and uh, fast forward to where we're at right now and it totally makes sense all of it it was uh 88 was i don't think i was really i hadn't really picked a team then beyond just like the general umbrella of like offensive you know like music it was mostly my 88 i was uh i was always a year younger than my class 
Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, me too, because of when we were born. Right, yeah. So 88 was when I was starting seventh grade. So I was into uh, sort of the, actually, that was kind of the year that like I, I really dove into music. But um, prior to that, it was just like rock radio, uh, which led to like Ozzy, you know, and, and uh, eventually like Metallica. By 88, I was, I had declared myself a thrasher. I was like Anthrax, uh, Metallica, Megadeth. Um, But it was also when hardcore and punk bands started coming into my, um, into view uh, from a lot of like the metal magazines and stuff you'd see. uh, I've talked about this a million times elsewhere, but like, the big ones were exploited in corrosion of conformity. Yeah. Where I was like, those are, those don't look like all the other thrash, you know, metal releases. And then I got them and I was like, oh, they're not, but they're kind of, but they're not. Well, I like, you know, and, uh, or the first suicidal um, album. And that's kind of uh, right there, I, buddy. Yeah. I was just noticing that. Yeah. And um, and we had SOD to count on too, which was offensive and also bridged the gap between but and, the gap. yeah between sure. Anthrax and hardcore. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I had seen like the New York hardcore thing on like on Anthrax on like I'm the Man, where they're you know I think it's like spray painted on the wall. They're sort of Beastie Boys, you know, parody. Yeah, um, I didn't know what it was, and and to me it was like. Uh, I really gravitated toward the imagery of exploited and corrosion of conformity in particular um, and ended up with their stuff and I liked it, but it didn't sound anything like Metallica. So I was like, well, these guys are exploited. I knew was a punk band because uh, there were Mohawks. Yeah. So I was like, well, this must be, you know, this is just punk. And like, I, I was, you know, vaguely aware of like, uh, sex pistols and like dead kennedys and shit but um exploited was like something else and to, to to me they're honestly like even though i think hardcore is still sort of like mostly an american kind of thing uh exploited's a hardcore band in my life. exploited and discharge yeah and discharge and yeah uh so they but i didn't know where to put them in the context of like still being like a thrash guy i was just like like corrosion of conformity um there were a lot of metal elements but in my book i was just like fuck they're terrible like (laughs) can't it's so sloppy and the recording's so shitty i guess they're just a really bad metal band but i love it yeah i don't know what it is and i sort of just tabled it you know temporarily and it wasn't until like later with like Agnostic Front, Minor Threat, New York Hardcore kind of coming into my world that I understood that like all that stuff was uh, something else. Yeah. But uh, what was the point of that? I don't know, but uh, we're we're on a great tear. And you know yeah. what? You know what really what really brings it all back to what you're doing now is corrosion of conformity because when Damien Dunn first started there was a dirty bluesy dirge and corrosion of conformity especially as they went on into the late 80s and early 90s and apexed through from hardcore punk into thrash and then into like the southern 
dirge yeah. metal thing they incorporated a lot more boogie and blues more but it was more. always there it was it always was, it was always it life. was always there yeah eye for an eye it was like there was always this like sabbath there was they were always um paying tribute to sabbath yeah I, they were iomi worshiping the whole yeah. way the yeah. whole way as a and... punk band as a hardcore band as a rock band metal band whatever it was always just like various degrees of embracing their sabbathness um, yeah yeah uh, and, and that's the through line i think into what you do now because you know and we kind of mined it a little bit and we made our way around but we felt our way into that corner where that 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 bluesiness comes from in 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 the impetus of damien dunn it's to me it's 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 apparent it's got to be that it's got to be that coc you know yeah they're a big 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 part of like the older i get the more i i i realize how important conformity uh in particular it you know because for years it was just like oh without minor threat you know i wouldn't be here and like um different bands but like Corrosion conformity, like as the years pass, um, I just I, I I just appreciate more and more like where they were at that point in my life and like what that led to and evolved to and uh, yeah they were a big they were a big one for me they were a big one that I sort of like didn't realize how big they were for a while because I was sort of preoccupied with like. You know the transition from Metallica to you know uh, uh, I don't know whatever uh, Killing Time with like Anthrax as some weird little middleman, but it was just like no, but corrosion of conformity like that eye for an eye and like animosity and like even even technocracy. Technocracy is fantastic. I don't care who shits on it. I love that I, record. I I shit on it only oh, because do I don't like uh, Simon Bob's vocals whatsoever. On, I, on I I don't like the production either, but the but the songwriting is good. They're good songs. It's you know, but um, the demos with Mike Dean singing are just like way better. Um, oh, of course. But yeah, I kind of overlooked them or like just didn't sort of like give them the attention they deserved uh, for the role that they played in my comeuppance you know it was like uh they were I even like i even like deliverance i was now uh, d- that's where i dropped off um i did hang in there through blind though which for a lot of people who like deliverance they're just like oh blind was this weird little in-between blemish i liked blind i fucking love that album i love oh, with that a bullet man yeah uh mine are the eyes of god the, the yeah. riff in that song is just like insane um deliverance to me was sort of the beginning of like them really going maybe a little too far down the sort of like southern doomy bluesy rock thing and it was uh i just lost interest but eye for an eye animosity the technocracy demos um are just like were huge to me mm-hmm. in 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 a way that i just like realize more and more as i i, I age um 
I think it's a, I think it's vastly apparent in your songwriting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's there is definitely sort of a bluesy, uh, grungy kind of. I think there are every now and then I'll hear like kind of a dun, 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 kind of like accent or something that's like that does come from a you know um, yeah a corrosion of conformity by by way of you know or Black Sabbath by way of corrosion of conformity yeah sort of place. Well, fuck, we figured it all out now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we figured out like the like burned a culture. Yeah, of conformity to Damien Dunn somehow. Um, what else we got? Well, we're gonna have to get back to. <laughs> we're gonna have to get to like Troubadour songs and and like like slave chants, and then I think that'll be the. <laughs> I do love man. I love uh, I love that sort of like call and response like uh gospel slaves there's um mcintosh county singers have you ever heard of that yeah man that's like you know the only reason i like the band like atheist i like you know paradox it's just uh i love gospel like old you know the only reason i like the band thrice is because they have a song that has slave uh field chants in it a call and response field chant mixed with a very neurosis riff and and chorus on uh their album vesu uh i didn't care for them when they were on sub city and then their first major label record i i didn't care about it it, it was built into that whole thursday thing that i just i was already out of that's all i figured they were i don't think i've ever really listened to them there's there's a song called uh the earth will shake off of the album vesu that turned me from writing them off as another emo metal band to being this musically literate uh you could tell they love ink and dagger you could tell they love hot water music you could tell they love as friends rust on this album if you listen to just this album and then they, they get they get away from it again huh yeah i'll check it it, it was that was that era where we were sort of being, you know, touted as like for fans of Thrice and Thursday. And I was just like, I don't listen to those bands. I don't want to know anything. And <laughs> at, I, the more we, we would get compared to bands that and like that would basically just like seal that band's fate for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, never going to listen to that fucking band. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was just so it was a weird, it was a weird time, weird transition, kind of like um you could blame it on being a Libra or you could blame it on the age group. I would blame it on the age group. I I think when you're when you grow up in hardcore and punk and you reach your late mid to late twenties, you get really jaded and you're like, Yeah, dude, this was cool. Oh yeah. I, and we're all contrarians you know like that have just been sort of like drawn like moths to a flame to this thing so it's it's bound to happen but you know what what happened for me was uh, honestly like uh uh because i think a lot of our fans in 
99, 2000 or whatever were uh, not much younger than me, but like a couple years younger than me. Um, I resented the comparisons. Mm-hmm. I wanted as friends Russ to be compared to bands like uh, Turning Point and Dag Nasty and Gorilla Biscuits. And like in my mind, we were just doing like we were a hardcore band with melody. Like yeah. we did those octavy things that to me were Gorilla Biscuits, but to someone a year or two younger were Lifetime. And to somebody a year or two younger than that were like movie life fire or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh so when I would start hearing comparisons, like, you know, to like Oh, you're one of my you're you're one of my favorite three bands and or you know four bands and my other three are grade and voice that's fire and hot water music i was just like fuck this i'm out <laughs> nothing against those bands they're all good band i liked the very first grade release when it was like still screamy and hot water yeah. music is obviously like just fucking top-notch songwriters yeah but I've never, I don't, I mean, I know one album of theirs and it's like a later, it's the one with uh, Ebb and Flow on it. Flight yeah. Crush, I think, right? Yeah. It was like when, uh, it was when I think a lot of their early diehard fans were starting to walk away. That it was, was like, yeah. like, this is a good record. Um, and then, you know, in Boy Sets Fire, I liked uh, the split with the uh, Jazz Man's Needle. Yeah, I have that seven inch. Yep. I got that split from Conquer the World when he was first like signing, you know, Culture Morning again or something. Jazzman's um, Needle were a local band to me. They had, or were they? Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Um, yeah, so th- there's material from all those bands that I liked, but at that point, 99, 2000, I did not like what any of those guys were doing. I didn't like what any band was doing. And, um, that caused me to sort of turn around and look at my own band and like, and I was like, fuck, are we doing that? Are we doing this? Like, you know, you just called it emo metal, which is kind of like a pretty simple, but, but kind of like spot on. Yeah. That weird, like, uh, it's very produced. It's you can't even really say it's rooted in hardcore because you don't hear much of that. But it's it, like it's not. It's 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 metal with with uh, someone aping em- what they think emo is supposed to sound like. Yeah. Because does it sound like Embrace to you or I? Fuck nope. no. No. Fuck no. It doesn't sound like Dag Nasty to me. And that's what I want. I mean, it, it, I mean, I it wasn't like the goal. It wasn't like something that we you know, wrote up on the wall in our practice space is like, sound like a discord band. But like, I wanted to think we were more of that than this, you know, uh, I don't know, like, like than a heavier Jimmy E world or something, something, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it was just generational and it kind of like just, it just, yeah, it pissed me off and it kind of made me just write the whole thing off. And when I left As Burns Rust in uh, early 2002, right before the Equal Vision thing was released, um, I just kind of was done. I checked out. I was like, whatever's happening in this scene right now is just not something I fucking care 
at all about. I do not care about this whole, yeah, this whole Thursday, thrice, glass jaw direction that everything's going. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, whatever. I just started uh, smoking a lot of weed and just listening to, like, Jethro Tull. And <laughs> I just checked out for, like, for quite a while, about 10 years. Uh until uh until on bodies which i mean i still listened to the shit that i i listened to i was one of those guys that was like i just listen to old shit the old shit's better um and it was at the time yeah um, people who say that today i'm just like are you like not paying attention because there's a there's like great shit um i think there's better shit it's been a longer stretch of like cool shit coming out now but oh, yeah. there was a patch where in the early 2000s, it was safe to say that, like, all the new shit sucked. It just sucked. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just that I was being, like, a jaded old guy that wasn't, like, paying attention or going to shows, so who was I to talk? No, it was just really bad music. They were trying too much to be too <laughs> MTV, too, like, like swoopy hair, fallout boy, like, yeah. you yeah. know... Now we have bands like like Move, and you know like and they're like a Black Power hardcore band, like a Black Panther hardcore band. Like how could you, how could that not be awesome? How could yeah. that not be awesome? Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So the like there's there's a, a a movement now of hardcore actually becoming hardcore again. Yeah. Like very homespun, very very like basement, like and much more diverse, much more inclusive. I mean, yep. shows today, like when I when I do go to shows or even when I watch shows online or whatever, I'm just like, this is the audience that uh that I wanted to see back then. Yeah, just a sea of white guys. Oh, there was a band a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, they broke up and they were on Revelation, uh, Primal Right. They were a thrash metal band with a, a, a trans woman singing. Yeah. Like, holy fuck. Like, where was this? Where was this 25 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And no, instead, it was just like it was a bunch of white guys like, you know, putting like uh free mumia stickers in their records and like writing you know whole like dissertations on how this land was stolen you know from the, the natives yeah. but, but they were still just all white guys yeah and and, and unless most, most part with with the with the exception of like you had spitboy and nausea and like the riot girl thing that was happening you know uh, but like for the most part i mean it was or crudos or crudos, yeah. But to be honest, that's kind of what um that's why As Friends Rust has always been like the band for like of the of all the bands that I've been in, that's that's my like that band has always been like my real sort of passion because uh coming off of the heels of of culture or morning again, it was just like uh it was weird to go on tour and like look out and see a pretty even split. I was like, holy shit, look at all of the like women. Yeah. Like, girls, even, <laughs> you know, like uh 
it was like not just guys. And that was, you know, like I was used to just singing to a bunch of like pissed off, like, like dudes, white dudes. Um, first so wave, I, first wave lifetime was the first time I saw anything like that. It's when, a nice feeling, man. It's a great feeling to like, just like look down at like the people mashed up against the front singing every word and like, and every other person is like female, you know? See, and I don't know, it was just like, it was, it was really kind of an epiph, it, it was jarring, you know, coming off of the heels of like a militant straight edge kind of uh, vegan sort of thing, which was always like too, too limited and too, you know, it was limited in message, it was limited in audience. And um, I think that's the reason, like, I keep coming back to As Friends Rust or like pushing for As Friends Rust was because like uh, we, it was just, it was a very inclusive, we even had shirts that said like exclude nobody, exclude no one because mm -hmm. we got so sort of high on that like inclusion on the diversity, um, which honestly paled. Uh, in comparison to the diversity that you see today yeah there are so many like people of color or like trans people or this you know uh it's a much more dynamic diverse scene today than it was then and back then all it took to feel like you were really breaking the boundaries was like a few like women up front singing the lyrics and you were like look we're not like you know we're not jocks anymore are yeah. we <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I kind of, uh, and even in, and even in culture as one of those bands, um, I think I always had like, uh, like ebullition envy. Yeah. You know, we, we were friends with earth crisis and I love the first couple of EPs and, and, you know, like they're like. There are like very good bands in that sort of world. Um, I even like the asshole bands in that world. I liked Vegan Reich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, you know, whatever. Um, but I knew. I mean, I, all things considered, looking back, like I didn't spend that much time in that sort of like militant straight edge vegan uh, world. But I, but the little time I did spend in it. I spent sort of not liking how small it was mm -hmm. and how off-putting it was and how like, you know, I mean, I can, there's only so much I can say to that effect as a guy who was writing about like killing hunters and shit, but like, sure. Um, I still did sort of align myself. And this is again, sort of the issue of like, you know, envisioning your own band to be something other than what other people envision it to be you know i i saw as as friend rust as turning point dag nasty when other people saw it as grade uh hot water music avail whatever um i saw culture as downcast oh yeah groundwork or like you know some fence forward maybe in it too yeah yeah and um and you know, and other people where on the on the spectrum or the 
uh, of, of, of vegan straight edgeness, we were sort of kind of in the, we were, you know, I think we presented as maybe a little to the right of chokehold mm -hmm. and a bit to the left of earth crisis. Yeah. Um, but people saw us as vegan Reich day of suffering abnegation uh hardline band and i know i never saw you guys as a hardline band because i always saw you more as being like chokehold like a little more to say a little more intellectual a little less pro-life like yeah 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 not pro-life at all i would actually yeah. say that if anything um we had a lot less to say than chokehold because to, to be honest like uh at least on the in the born of you kind of era of culture um, we weren't very political at all. We were, most of the songs were about personal relationships or like heartbreak and, you know, uh, uh, or just very self-deprecating sort of, you know, again, the, I'm a piece of shit theme. Um, but, but what, where I'm getting with that though, vegan straight edge songs for good measure, right? Cause you know, uh, where I'm getting at with that though, is, is that you, you guys weren't out there like you know like earth crisis vegan reich uh raid those bands were hardline like they were members of like alf they were they were pro-life they were very very a little creep a little too creepy for me they were religious they were religious yeah there was that whole weird like rastafari you know islam sort of uh questionable views on on homosexuality and yeah abortion and we were always very uh progressive in that respect like as culture was always you know uh, pro-choice and 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 uh, you know we were just vegan and straight edge mm -hmm. but the flavor you know of the era was um chuggy you know paul muted chugs and slayer leads. slayer leads yeah threatening biblical sort of sounding like lyrics so yeah we had some of that shit, and it really sort of pigeonholed us as a as a hardline band and like i didn't even know what that shit was i mean this was like i wasn't even like really on the internet i didn't have email i didn't fucking no shit i was not i was never one of those back to me, me being a bad hardcore kid i was never a uh, a guy who did a lot of like mail ordering or collected a lot of zines or anything. So like my frame of reference was pretty small. You know, yeah. what I knew was that like there were bands out there uh, also flying under the sort of militant straight edge vegan banner that were uh, whatever hardline is. And the only thing that I knew that was like different about them than us was that they were like pro-life and anti-gay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't like any of that. So I kind of made it a point, um, much like I would years later um, when I would be bucking against the boys that's fire grade hot water kind of comparisons. I was going to the other end of things with like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to show them that we're not, uh, you know, a day of suffering or, or whatever, like, <clears throat> Which is also kind of why, uh, when Morning Again started, um, one of the one of the 
conditions was that we wouldn't sing about veganism or straight edge. Mm. Uh, so the seven songs that I was on were well, had nothing to do with any of that shit. It was it was much more uh, for better or worse, like kind of just straight out of like uh, the kind of, like more aligned with like the ebullition catalog because that's kind of really more what I listened to. Yeah, at the time, you know. Oh yeah, I was a heart attack fanzine guy myself. If it didn't come out at that time, if it wasn't on Ebullition or Gravity Records, I was probably not that big of a fan of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was. Uh, we, we, we sounded very East Coast, but uh, my kind of the messaging was coming from a much more sort of San Diego kind of. Uh, you know, it was a. It was just a lot more like I. I liked that whole um, that whole sort of like DIY include a zine with the release and like liner notes about every fucking song and um, kind of uh, thing because it was like what I liked about other bands that I was a fan of. I liked like opening something up and like learning something. I mean, in retrospect, it was like you know, you realize like, wait, these, these are like 17 year olds trying to teach me something about a subject that like, <laughs> I haven't read much on, uh, but whatever it really, like, I liked that vibe. I liked the whole, like, let's expose people to issues that they may not be aware of. Like, even if we don't know shit about them, you're ready. For, you're ready for the next through line then. Yeah. Cause I got it. Um, yeah, you do. You, you've been pretty much on so far. So let's do it. The San Diego hardcore scene, uh, very spastic, also included, you know, a, like a lot of synthesizer work. They would pepper it in. And yep. then and then the farther it went, the more you got into like from Swing Kids to Locust, a lot more synthesizer. And then what you do, there's a lot of electronics involved. Huh. So there's your next through line. I'm going to level with you. It's not as strong as your other through line. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, uh, I thought I was onto something. Don't shit because, on me. Only because I kind of like tapped out before or right around Swing Kids and Locust. Right. Um, uh, but ultimately, I mean, we're talking about people who are like, you know, with a few year tolerance from the same generation who came up on the same shit. So, I mean, sooner or later, those, those influences that are like exist within them on a, on a cellular level are going to bubble up to the surface. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially like, like taking into consideration, like uh, how disparate, everything shot off from there you know because you have everything from you know the locust to uh blink 182 coming out of that same pocket of an area <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah like, like there there was there was a sonic stew happening there that that it, it could have gone any of a few different ways and a lot of it really did suck but right you know, uh, at least they were, they were headed somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think at a, at some point or another, like, you know, these are the elements that you're composed of 
and you can only hide from them for so long or you can only uh uh you know you can only put on a bandana and some camo shorts and do that thing for so long or do the swoopy hair you know what this is what i kind of think for so long ultimately uh the truth will out right like yeah you if you if you're like anchored to all of this by memories of like road trips with your family like where you're all singing mamas and the papas songs at the top of your lungs like sooner or later one of those hooks is going to manifest in your you know post hardcore post punk solo bedroom project <laughs> now that you've done your whatever you know metal metallic hardcore shit and you did this other stuff and whatever like uh eventually those things yeah they're they're just gonna bubble to the surface and and manifest and um we are who we are you know yeah uh, it's it's kind of like uh a lot of people are shocked sometimes that like people who were in bands that that were um apparent you know like to to the bands that that seem to be very very progressive very uh leftist um very radical like radically kind of you know anarchist or whatever company or whatever uh you have all of these bands now where like there are members of those bands that are kind of like uh being exposed as sort of being kind of right-wing or being like oh shit that guy's like he's totally a trumper and he was in this fucking band of all bands right yeah um what happened what was the change i would argue that there was no change i would argue that like that conservatism was that mamas and the papas song on a road trip it was just like it, it was, was there of time before it bubbled up to the surface like they were just putting on the you know they had the like diy sort of screen printed patches sewn onto their you know hoodie or whatever and they did the like they played they played you know um anarchist anarchist like you know squatter like punk kind of the the nausea thing for a while but eventually they became their dad. Yeah. Because they were just going to anyway, sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, we have examples of that. I mean, uh, who nerve agents were supposed to come out with reissues on revelation and it didn't happen because their drummer or bass player, I forget which, well, it couldn't be their bass player. It was their drummer came like, was just hammering out with this Joe Rogan, alt-right alex jones wackadoo trump love and nonsense and they were supposed to do a tour they were supposed to reissue the albums they pulled the plug on the whole thing because yeah. this guy the optics on them was all of that yeah yeah and and that's... i don't even know if that's i don't even know if that's right you know to be honest it's like we don't all have to believe the same shit right like if it's 
I, I think the metrics or the, or the like where it is that we determine that like these beliefs are actually like harmful, you know, I think for some people like the slightest whiff of them is a deal breaker. And for other, I think, you know, this is shit we tolerate on other levels from like relatives or whatever. So like, I don't know, there've always been, I would say more so in the eighties and nineties, you know, just meat-headed ignorant like bands and hardcore punk. Oh yeah. If anything, we're in a better fucking place now. I don't think it should be a deal breaker that like, oh, they're kind of conservative. You know, like they can they can be kind of conservative. That's okay. Yeah. You know? I don't have to agree. I don't agree with fucking 108. Right. Right? But uh it's all right. They have a different take on it. They have a different whatever, like give them, give them a, a plat when it becomes hard. I mean, when it's like just straight up, you know, uh, racist or, or, or bigoted. But the thing is now we're just uh, gatekeeping to the point where we decide that like, well, no, they're not like blatantly racist or bigoted, but they do support this politician who peripherally supports this, which perpetuates that. And like, we just, you know, connect, connect, maybe over connect. Uh, but remind me where we are right now. Um, no, well, we were, we were talking about, you know, the, how the politics, the, the, the meat-headed politics kind of always existed and, you know, we're in a better place yeah. with it, but like, like, all right. So John Joseph, right. We'll just go with him since he's sort of the quintessential, like, yeah. right. You know, Joe Rogan kind of meathead. In hardcore right now like that dude well well all right for starters he didn't exactly ever present as anything else but like let's say he did right yeah he's just you know he's gonna write a book about how like you know eating meat is for pussies because he probably grew up in a house where his dad told him that a lot of things were for fucking pussies yeah right we're just like to some extent, our destinies are sort of just pre, you know, determined. Um, I think that the the there's a certain degree at which we can sort of deviate from, you know, what we grew up kind of uh, under or understanding or having sort of like modeled for us. Mm -hmm. um, it's limited, you know. I'm I'm not exactly like my parents but i'm a lot like my parents yeah me too <laughs> yeah and and uh there are ways that like i kind of always was and there are ways that i sort of pretended i wasn't for a while until eventually just sort of like drifting back and just being like yeah i guess i kind of like that shit too or like want to emulate these characteristics too you know uh so yeah when i see when i see those those members of those bands that everyone is just like completely in disbelief that somebody from that band could be this you know could become this guy i'm like all right but this guy is 40 something years old the guy in that band was like 17 and he was in that band for a year you know yeah and to go way back to an earlier point in this conversation, 
he wasn't even a fucking hardcore kid at that point. He got pulled in from a, as a, you know, the, the punk or the metalhead in the other guy's biology class because he simply had a bass guitar. Yeah. So yeah, it's very believable that that guy is now like Instagramming MAGA shit, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I had the, <clears throat> I had the good fortune of like, in spite of like my uh, militant straight vegan straight edge years or and whatever anybody like decided that that meant uh, about me of uh, ultimately like having grown up with uh with with parents who were like very liberal yeah me too hippies yeah. my dad was in vietnam but after after which he would he just wanted to grow his hair out and give peace a chance so i kind of lucked out in that regard <laughs> yeah mine weren't like super um hippie-ish but they were very just like you you just you don't make anybody feel unwelcome you don't discriminate against anybody for like any differences and you know um that was just the 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 backbone of kind of my so yeah yeah ultimately uh whatever yeah those I mean, dudes just being what they were going to be the whole time and honestly it shouldn't be that outrageous that uh somebody who was in any kind of like dogmatic self-righteous <laughs> band uh of any persuasion uh turned out to be you know super conservative whatever especially like i mean i'll you know maybe not at at at, at the uh inception but straight edge very quickly became a very you know, uh, conservative. Well, I used to say that, you know, that X was only four hatch marks away from becoming a swastika, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and not, yeah, I mean, and it's not true of all of straight edge by any means, but it's true yeah. of a lot of it, a lot of it, you know? Um, and especially like, you know, there was, I don't know. I was never, I was never straight edge. Um, I, I always liked the music. I was always a vegetarian. Um, but it seemed to me that a majority of my friends who were straight edge, uh, back in those days came from white upper middle class upbringings with very little, uh, very little problems. There were only two or three of them that came from a place more akin to me you know like growing up with very little financially and growing up around a lot more violence and things like that that stuck to it so uh, it almost seemed convenient unless you came from a place uh, of of where you were like escaping something horrible and right. those those were the straight edge kids that i really really kind of uh, i was i was drawn to because they were the problem is they that they they all claim they were escaping something horrible i mean yeah. go to, you know any interview you you read with any straight edge member of any straight edge band then or now it's the same sort of like well i grew up in a family where like am i you know 
I had these addicts in my family and I just knew I didn't want to be like that because it was in my DNA and I was like bound to be an addict. I don't know. It just seems like a, <laughs> it's just the script you're given when you like first claim. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just mindlessly just sort of like regurgitate that script without like knowing if it's even true. Yeah. Um, I didn't have addiction in my family. Uh, I would, I would, my, my situation was a little weird where like at the time that I claimed straight edge, which was after joining culture. Cause when I joined culture, that wasn't like a required, the requisite, they were all straight edge. Yeah. Um, I was smoking cigarettes when I tried out for culture, like at practice, you know, um, it wasn't until joining the band and spending like a few months in the band and and I was already like going to meetings. I, I had already been like institutionalized and sort of told that I, I was told I was an addict. Mm-hmm. I was in fact an adolescent with a, you know, a, a shitty home life for a couple of years that ended up leaving home a little bit early and was in, a, in the system. Um, and what they do is, you know, you, if you're not going to go to a a foster home or a group home or a shelter or something, like you go to an institution and a lot of them are dual diagnosis. So it's like, all right, the requirements are that like you have some sort of, you're dealing with some sort of emotional or mental or behavioral, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and some sort of chemical uh, abuse or dependence. And and I think that like, I ticked that box, but in retrospect, like I ticked that box uh, because it was, it was abuse. It wasn't like, I wasn't dependency. It wasn't dependency. Uh, I was an adolescent, an angry fucking adolescent who didn't give a shit. And like you make bad decisions because well you're an adolescent and like that's what adolescents do. Yeah. Uh, but also I was like not at home and I was like you know reveling in this like sort of like freedom of just being like out on the street you know doing whatever. And uh, and also I didn't have a healthy fear of consequences or uh, appreciation of being alive. Mm-hmm. That all lent itself pretty well to like just making like especially dumb decisions and doing especially dumb shit, which I did, which a lot of kids at that age do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I graduated high school in a juvenile detention center. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just a rough age, right? Yeah, it really is. It's very easy when you get into those places for somebody to to tell you and convince you. And they did with me. Um, and you probably graduated at 17, right? No, I actually, uh, um, without knowing, and I don't know how I didn't know or how I didn't figure this, but like, I went to go start my senior year and they were like, you're not a senior. (laughs) You didn't go to school last year. Uh, so I was like, you know, still in 11th grade. And, but by then I was like, just turning 18 and I was able to just like withdraw and get my GED. Yeah. Um, but, uh, during those times that I was in like the system, um, 
yeah, I was told I was an addict. I was told by people who knew nothing about me other than the fact that like, you know, I liked to get fucked up sometimes that like I was an addict and I needed to go to meetings. And uh, if I ever drank or smoked anything or snorted anything again, I'd be dead by the end of the night because that's it. Yeah. I'm like a junkie who's like, you know, uh, whatever, like one, you know, one bag away from dying. And, um, and I believed it because I don't know, I was just like, oh shit, I'm like, all right. And, and also like, I mean, meeting shit, talk about the gravit the gravitas of like hardcore and straight edge and stuff like that's got nothing on like NA meetings, man. Oh like, no, I'm not really at all. Pulled into that shit. That was my scene. Yeah. And I was convinced, you know, it was like, that was my thing. That's like, I had to go there and, and smoke cigarettes and eat like stale donuts and, and drink and terrible coffee and say, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And mm -hmm. like, I was, I was like, uh, it became part of my identity for like a couple of years there where like, I was just like, you know, so anyway, uh, I joined culture. I eventually like uh, claimed straight edge. And it wasn't until like much later that I kind of realized that like I was sort of duped. Um, I don't remember how this ties into the whole thing about like every straight edge kid having the story about how like their family, you know, is a bunch of addicts. So they knew that they were never going to do that. But like, uh it's sort of the same story except the the family member was me yeah it was just like what i was told and yeah yeah years later i realized like i'm not an addict i was just like somebody who liked to get fucked up because i was angry and i was pissed and i just like didn't have much reason not to you know and See. sure i was maybe a little bit uh depressed and i may have had a little bit of a death wish but i was still like just fucking 15 i was like scratching the surface you know i wasn't uh i mean that just goes to show that na is no place for a person who's not an addict and and i could i no. can i can vouch for that because i was i was an addict and in na it, you you either you're either supposed to be there or you're not supposed to be there and yeah. when you when you're a kid fucking around maybe you just need to like get some structure and take a break right yeah <laughs> you know? but the thing is you you end up uh, or at least in my case i mean i i ended up in in these places where like because one of the requirements was a history of of drug abuse or dependence um you may just be somebody there who ticks the box for like drug abuse. But by the time you leave, you know, you're, you're, yeah, it's a dependency issue and you're an addict and uh, you're court ordered to 90 meetings in 90 days mm -hmm. and sponsor and you get fully, fully just completely sucked into this whole culture of like, that just like tells you that you, you're, you're an addict. Yeah, you get indoctrinated. Yeah, 
very quickly, very easily, especially at that age. And what's funny is it, it's it's people who don't know shit about you who are like telling you that very quickly, very readily. I mean, I, I remember the the first time I was institutionalized was like a it was like a crisis center, and I got brought there like really late at night, and they must have woken this guy up. Uh, the the psychiatrist, the doctor who like had to come to this place in the middle of the night to like review me as I was checked in. And, you know, this was just this like vile, old, pink, angry man who like was upset at having to like, you know, put shoes on and like get out of bed and fucking drive down. And then he gets there, he's looking at like a 15 year old with like uh you know, half of his head shaved. I had like one of those, like a slab, like the mohawk that's just laying down. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like, I remember sitting with this guy for maybe five minutes. And I never saw him again in the 45 days that I was at this place. And in those five minutes, he told, he insulted me. He told me that I looked like a wild Indian. You know, uh, not in a cool, joking, trying to bond with the youths kind of way. Like he was just yeah. like, like insulted me and walked out of the room. And before I knew, and I was on uh, suddenly like prescribed all sorts of like a whole cocktail of shit. Mm-hmm. And I spent the next 45 days just zombified and like. I don't remember my mom coming to visit me, which she did every week. And, you know, I remember like not being able to move my jaw or my tongue because like they put me on, uh, uh, what's it called? Stelazine Mm -hmm. uh, related to like Thorazine. It's in the same family as Thorazine. Um, And sometimes you just lose control of your like jaw and your tongue and like you need a side effect pill that they forgot to prescribe. Cogentin, I think it was called. Um, So like I was just on all these like antidepressants, sedatives, you know, mood stabilizers, whatever. All prescribed to me by this like just horrible, awful fucking pig of a man who like sat with me for like five minutes in the middle of the night and just hated me before he even got there. Yeah. You know, and that five minutes set, set the trajectory, you know, for the next couple of years, because from there, you know, I was not only told that I was whatever, um, behavioral or emotional or kind of mental things you know i was written up as being but but uh, but an addict an addict because i you know i don't know like drank and ate acid and like you know yeah did a few lines or whatever like i was i was an addict fairly and it's all fairly innocuous it's not like you were out like trying to score heroin or oxycodone or anything miami early 90s it's like par for the course it wasn't it wasn't uncommon i mean people are bored and just pissed off because you're just so isolated and fucking sticky and sweaty and hot 
And that's just what happens. It's a violent place with a lot of access to just dumb shit. People make dumb decisions down there. It wasn't really uh, very uncommon. Yeah. But um, I had done a little shit. And then, like, because of that, I, from there, went on to more rehabby places. And, you know, there were the, yeah, the, the, the meetings that I was sort of, like, ordered to do. And I had a sponsor. And if you have a sponsor, I mean, you better be an addict if you've got a sponsor. Of course. Yeah. Well, like you just, I was just fully, fully fucking into it. And um, so I think now I'm figuring out how this ties back. Uh, when I claimed straight edge, I had the backstory. Yeah. That, like, every straight edge kid needs you know and sometimes they pull from some really they're really reaching you know like oh i had a great uncle that was an alcoholic and i never met him but i sure <laughs> heard stories and i knew as a three-year-old that i didn't want to ever be like that guy whose name i can't remember you know and then sometimes that's the story but for me it was just like i was told i mean i'm you know like i have to stay clean um so it was kind of easy for me and yeah. I really believed in it. I really believed in it. Um, I believed in it after I sold out. I still was like convinced that I was, that's it. I had made a choice that was going to put me in the grave in a year or two. And it wasn't until like a couple years had passed and I was still alive where I was like, kind of doing all right. I don't even really go out and like, drink or do anything i just kind of i mean i smoke a little weed and i just sit at home and like watch you know whatever <laughs> on tv and shit um that i kind of realized that like man i think i was fucking duped i think they lied to me and they really like kind of fucked me up in that in that way yeah and it's kind of scary because i mean anybody that like you can it can be your first time walking into a meeting and um if you make the mistake of like introducing yourself and talking for a couple minutes, that's it. Yeah. You don't even get to like figure out whether you're like really an addict or what's really going on. Like you, you are, you're in. Yeah. And it's like, a, it's a poor excuse for, uh, you know, going to therapy and figuring out if that is indeed your problem. I yeah. mean, when when I landed my ass in NA, it's because I'd already OD'd. <laughs> and yeah. There was a whole different bag of wax going on with me, but I can't imagine at 15 years old just fucking around a little bit, ending up in the same rooms I ended up in in my late teens and early 20s, like talking right. about doing some really vile shit to get heroin. Like they're, they're night and day. They're night yeah. and day. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was, it was, it was, it was really, I mean, it was fucking around a little bit. I mean, it might've been fucking around a little bit more than, you know, some of my, some of my classmates who like, you know, had whatever, they'd sneak a couple of beers every now and then or something, but like, uh, it was, it wasn't, again, it wasn't that uncommon. It was just like, if you're like not living at home and you're sort of just like, out there like making dumb decisions because you don't give a shit anyway um yeah you're gonna try some shit yeah 
you know? And um, and it's fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially at that age. Drugs are fun. Mm-hmm. Like, they are, you know? Oh, yeah. Listen, cocaine. I was never, I was never a user at, to a point where, like, they weren't fun and they were really a problem. I was just like, I was at an age where like I was, I had nothing to lose. I was impressionable. And if something was in front of me, there was really no reason to like, turn it down and just be like, ah, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Mm -hmm. I do this. Um, but it was, it, it wasn't what it was made out to be. And I think that's kind of fucked up. And I, and I, and I harbor a lot of resentment toward, uh, the whole that whole like recovery culture the whole na kind of uh 12 step thing and and i i've come pretty close to or, or maybe i have like offended you know some friends who are in recovery who are clean who have been for a long long time and who swear by those programs mm -hmm. and you know like religion it's like look it's not for me, but if it if it improves the quality of your life, then like by all means, you know, whatever it takes. Well, I can tell you from my point of view, it doesn't insult me because you, you weren't like, it doesn't sound like you, you had an, a dependency issue. You weren't bottoming out. You weren't you know, like there's, there's, if you are hopelessly embroiled in the obsession of addiction, and there are other people who are also hopelessly embroiled in the obsession of addiction who are no longer using whose advice do you want you're going to want theirs right where are you going to get that you're going to get that it from an honest experience in a, in a narcotics anonymous meeting but to take a 15 year old kid who's just fucking around smoking some weed doing a line of coke maybe tripping doing ecstasy yeah. that that's that's not that's not a drug habit that's that's somebody who's fucking around and maybe needs to be steered in a little bit of a different direction yeah it's not the same thing it's not the same thing yeah uh but it is troubling how readily uh people in those rooms will tell you that it is the same thing and they will it's troubling that there's no screening that there's no like, let's really talk about this. I mean, why, you know, somebody should be asking like the frequency or the like, you know, like the, the mindset that you were in when you were doing this shit, like, you know, because uh, I think they could have determined pretty easily with me <laughs> that it was just like, yeah, you know what? No, you're just an asshole. Like, well, get out of here. That there's no that the only script that anybody in those rooms goes by is you're escaping reality, you have an addiction, you need help, you need this room, you need this guy, you need to cycle your numbers, you need your serenity prayer, and you need the big book. But that's really reductive, right? Because every single person sitting at a bar right now is escaping reality. Yeah. I'm drinking wine right now. I'm How escaping reality. Yeah, I'm drinking wine right now. Yeah. I realized a couple of years ago, this is my podcast thing. I'm like, I just, I just get wine drunk. 
Yeah. You yeah, can pr pretty much delete the first hour of this conversation because it was like, <laughs> taking a minute. Now, now we're like, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's fucked up how like readily they just hand out that label, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's made me very distrusting of like the whole 12 step thing, because I think that like, they don't care whether you are actually uh an addict or an alcoholic or whatever you know they 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 want you in the room i can't really figure out what the agenda is because there's not a whole lot of money to be made no there isn't in the fucking room man and they really want you to like believe that you need it and <laughs> and, and that's a little uh not to oversimplify or whatever but that's sort of a little culty it's that whole like you know we want we need you to need us yeah that and, is the payoff for us it doesn't have to be monetary it doesn't have to be your belongings or your paychecks or whatever we just like we need you to need us and that's misery loving company yeah that's yeah. what that is yeah and i mean how that led you to straight edge makes total sense it makes total sense. But what what finally led you out? It does make sense in the sense that I kind of went from uh, uh, believing that one sort of institution was keeping me alive to, to believing that another. Like I stopped going to meetings, but I started being a straight edge kid, right? Mm -hmm. And all of those things, like every straight edge kid will tell you, uh, saved their life in huge air quotes right saved my life yeah um i will say uh and i'll get back to what led me out but i, I will say like i do genuinely uh think that in a weird way culture did save my life um not in the sense that it saved me from like dying of you know of of some sort of like of, of an overdose um culture i think just changed my life because before that i was still just like a neighborhood uh asshole on the street like kind of like dodging cops and truant officers because i wasn't an adult yet and i didn't want to be at whatever place they had stuck me home, group home uh institution so i just kept running away and jumping on a bus and coming back to my old neighborhood and hanging out with my friends until I had to like jump out their window and like run, you know, through the streets of Miami to like, till it was safe. <clears throat> so I, that wasn't going to go anywhere good, you know? Um, and, and it wasn't until joining this band that like actually recorded and actually played shows out of town. You know, not far, Tampa, but I was like, I'm in Tampa playing with my fucking like hardcore band. It's insane. Like we're not just playing a, a show in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. Like I'm in Tampa. This is like what it's like to be a real band. And then like, you know, the next thing you know, you're like in, you're playing Chicago or Syracuse and a label wants to put your record out. And you're like, now a European label wants to put your record out bring you to Europe to play shows uh, that changed everything. I mean, otherwise I just would have been like some 
dude just you know some north miami beach like like uh you know i guess at the time it would have just been uh you know hood rat it just would have you know it just would have i just would have just kept getting in more and more trouble until the trouble was like i would have been too far gone to come back from it you know yeah it would have just become me so uh culture did sort of save my life but not in the way that i think a lot of people are like you know straight up saved my life hardcore saved my life whatever uh or maybe exactly in that way i don't know um what led me out of it uh i have poor impulse control and there was one <laughs> night where uh i rolled up to a friend's house to to uh and I jumped out of a car that I was in to see if anybody hanging out at the house wanted to join us to go to some diner to eat. And, um, and sitting on the porch of that house was, I don't remember if she was, if we were still dating at the time or if we were recently broken up, but like uh, a girlfriend or ex-girlfriend was sitting there and she was drinking something and looked really nervous. And I also knew her to be straight edge like I was. Right? And I was like, What's in the cup? Nothing, nothing, you know, and like, and I like grabbed it and I smelled it and it was just like fucking just beaming vodka. <laughs> and I don't know why or what happened at that moment, but uh, I just pounded it. And that was that. And that was the end. <laughs> I uh, I ended up just walking home, actually, and on the way home, I stopped at a, a convenience store or party, whatever. I'm in Mich I've been in Michigan too long. They call them party stores here, but a liquor store. Um, and I bought I don't know something, bottle of something, and I just like went went back to my room and got uh, shit faced with. Um, and then the, one of my housemates who had also been in culture with me and later being as friends rust, rust with me was like, what are you doing? And I told him and he was just like, I can't let you go down by yourself. So, was, <laughs> so the two of us just got like super drunk that night. It was actually kind of fun. That's, but, uh, that's, that was it. And then, you know, I did the thing that like most straight edge kids do in the beginning when they sell out where, where, uh, I made kind of a spectacle of myself and I got like really drunk for, you know, year or two um, until it all sort of self-leveled, you know, and then I, that was it. At, at, at least the, there, there wasn't the whole uh, Damien broke edge. Uh, like we're all going to ostracize him from the scene fist fight thing that, Seems oh, there was a there was a little bit of that. Oh, okay. There were uh, there were some cities that on as friend dress tours, uh, I was a little bit worried about playing some cities on the itinerary where I was like, I don't know if Syracuse <laughs> is a great idea. Well, Syracuse is especially uh, you know, Guav straight edge weapon lives there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it was fine. We played a Hellfest. It was fine. Um, actually, I 
believe it was Wilkes Bar. In my mind, it's always been Wilkes Bar. I think that same festival that we were talking about at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Although I feel like maybe somebody else in Asperger's Rust recently told me they think it was a different city, but I think it was Wilkes Bar. Um, I was in the parking lot and I got surrounded by like ten or twelve kids who like had a bone to pick with me about selling out. One of them had culture lyrics tattooed on them. They were super upset. Oh, dude, that is definitely Wilkes-Barre. That's definitely Wilkes-Barre because I know the dude with with culture lyrics tattooed on him. So it's here. Okay. Yeah. I I wasn't aware that that occurred because I really couldn't give a squirt of tips about what Straight Edge was about. I mean, I wouldn't say that they like came at me like like they were going to jump me or anything, but they definitely came at me and it was like, I was cornered and kind of encircled and, uh, and I don't know. I just kind of was like, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. If those, if those lyrics mean something to you, then what's the problem? Yeah. You know, uh, bundled with, why are you getting lyrics that a 17 year old who had been straight edge for like three months <laughs> you know, wrote in the fucking first place tattooed on you? Yeah. Um, kind of argument. And yeah, there were a couple of other situations in other cities that were like a little hostile, but it seemed to blow over pretty well. I think that honestly, look, a, a, a weird saving grace was maybe that, uh, I think that a lot of those angry straight edge kids um, also had a soft spot for Asper and Rust. Yeah. So it was like a weird bind that they were in because they were like, oh, I want to give this guy like a hard time for like, you know, selling out and like, you know, uh, betraying his like culture um, ethics. But I also really want to sing along to these like as friends Russ songs. So it was like a weird, it was a weird time. Uh, that was also kind of, I guess, 98, 99 ish. Yeah. That would have been around when culture ended. So it would have been like 99 ish. Yeah. And that this area was just rife with that stuff right, right around until they all hit 21 and then it all ceased to be with a few exceptions. I know a couple of guys who are my age who are still carrying that. And if that's what makes them tick, that's great for them. I like the guys, but you know, I respect it, man. I don't have that kind of discipline. Yeah, I don't either. I I like, I like to, I was, I'm a 12 step guy and I drink because I enjoy drinking. I'm not in a gutter, you know, I'm home. My, the important my... thing. And I think that's honestly the metric. That's the, that's the thing. Like if you're not in the gutter, is it a problem? Probably, <laughs> probably not, you know, <clears throat> but uh, are you getting fired from your job? Oh no. <laughs> is your like, you know, family leaving you or being taken away from you? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're not. You've got like a job and a family and a podcast, and you know, mm-hmm. all I. Um, 
now when i just had surgery on my foot i can't ever take a prescription painkiller again because then i could see some shit hitting the fan Wait, but, that too much yeah well th then yeah like i i told a doctor not that long ago i mean yeah you could prescribe me that but you know it's more than likely that you'll see you'll read about me in the news in a month <laughs> so, yeah. okay i'll just give you the tile the tylenol 800 i was like that's the move <laughs> uh yeah luckily like um those anytime i've been prescribed anything for you know something medical or whatever uh they don't really work for me um Percocet works great for the pain, but I hate the way it makes me feel. Uh, makes me feel sort of like sick. Um, Vicodin, I feel fucking great on Vicodin. It does nothing for my pain. Yeah. Nothing at all. Uh, luckily, 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, you know, that's it. For Advil is like, that's all I need. And yeah. It doesn't pose the risk that, like, you know, uh, any of those other drugs do. So, like, uh, I've been pretty lucky uh, about that. Where, like, they prescribe me that shit and I don't even take it because I know that it's, like, it's not going to do one of the two things that I need it, you know, to do. Yeah, I was one of those weird ones. It doesn't even, that stuff didn't even affect me the way it's supposed to. It made me speedy. It made me clear-headed i'm a i'm a weird i'm a weird drug addict <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. i used to be able to like do heroin and go to work and be the best guy on the job site like by a landslide hmm. yeah it's freaky but uh, being out of all of that now and you're making music in, in a milieu that there's no politics like none you know, you don't have to adhere to this, that, or the other thing. Now you just have to make good music. I mean, imagine what that would have been like back then. You know, not based on your lifestyle choices or what you decide you like to eat. You know, you're just making, I'm just making art for the sake of art. And I'll be judged on it by the validity and, you know, talent that it took to execute this i mean yeah. I, I think you're in a i think we're all in a far better situation as far as that's concerned you know like imagine imagine existing as friends rust existing in a situation where that was never even taken into consideration yeah you know? i don't know that it would have been possible then because i think uh well for one thing i would have been too young i think to be able to make the kind of music that i'm making now Mm -hmm. also um or on the other hand you could argue that there were bands doing that then bands that didn't have any sort of like uh convictions or lifestyles that they were sort of like building an identity around that were just making like music and uh, well i i think a lot of those bands that that weren't adhering to the accepted lifestyle choices then uh they were almost celebrating the opposite because you had everybody from ink and dagger who were wearing their chemical love on their sleeves mm -hmm. you know their nickname was drink and stagger um 
and hot water music who those guys they just partied and there was none of that other stuff tied to them but they were far and few between yeah you know everybody else had to be codified or paid by getting surrounded outside of festivals in wilkes-barre pennsylvania <laughs> yeah yeah well it was all part of it i mean i i don't know uh i think one way or another it worked out you know like i i, I was convinced of something that i don't think was necessarily true but it led me to a band that ultimately uh i think the big the big like benefit that i got from culture was just being like sort of pulled beyond my neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, even just moving over the county line from dade county uh because i was like the the one miami kid in the band and everybody else was in broward county so like just moving 20 minutes north new city it just kind of yanked me out of that sort of like i was very much stuck in my neighborhood and kind of wallowing in like my home life and whatever led me to the situation that i was in where i was like uh in the system and in and out of places that i just would keep leaving you know it was like this weird little i was just stuck in this kind of quicksand um so culture um expanded my borders i guess you know by uh a guy in detroit putting our record out like guy in tampa wants us to come play there uh guy in europe wants to put our shit out it, it uh that wouldn't have happened had i still just been kicking around the streets that i just kept like running back to mm. even if they were uh ironically like the same streets that i was kind of running away from <laughs> um, but i just kept coming back to my neighborhood and uh yeah there are a lot of people down there that um it's it's a bit of a black hole you know it's easy to just kind of get sucked in and and i don't know i i think the 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 real benefit was yeah just getting um being in uh as much as like it was still sort of a, a local band at the time it was like a real band in the sense that I had never been to the studio before. I'd never played out of, you know, uh, out of town before. And I think that just like was really eye opening and it changed everything and it made me kind of like want more um, from life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I did have some of that modeled by my parents, uh, you know, to go back to that whole thing about ultimately sort of becoming your parents in the end anyway. Um, my uh, parents were both uh, European, you know, like my, my mom was, uh, grew up in Holland. She was born in Mexico, but she was, she was Dutch, but born in Mexico, but grew up went back to Holland, grew up. My dad was French and like moved here when he was 18-ish. Uh, um, so they kind of had a little bit of a different worldview and we traveled a little bit, even though there wasn't 
money when I was a kid. We would just travel to places that you didn't really need money to travel to. Yeah. A lot of like South and Central America. And um, I was, maybe, maybe that was the, you know, instead of having the dad that was like, oh, whatever is for pussies, you know, and becoming John Joseph, mm-hmm. I had parents that were kind of liberal and kind of had this, you know, a different perspective and maybe I was just bound to sort of emulate that in the end. And I think I have, and uh, I'm not ashamed of it, you know? No, nor should you be. Yeah. But, um, I was definitely making a pretty good attempt at resisting it for a while. And I think a few more months or another year, uh, without something like culture coming along. And I probably would have just been fully, I would have succeeded in resisting it. And it would have just been the whole, like, man, what happened to that guy? Like, how did he end up in fucking prison? Like, his, you know, get swallowed up by the streets and that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll always have a connection to culture for that, for that reason, especially, you know, uh, it's pretty great though that you you get to go back through all of these uh, major bands in your life and not have that you know you look back with a little bit of trepidation like oh god like I did that <laughs> you know there there's that there's still uh you still look at it with with some reverence yeah yeah you know? I I don't have any regrets. Uh at all they were all amazing experiences i linked up with like some really incredible uh musicians and songwriters and people whose like you know um perspectives kind of informed mine and i learned a lot from and And then, of course, there were the bands that you you were in, and then bailed on, and then they did things. But it, it, it oh, seems... all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shy Halud, Bird of Alone, and Morning Again. Yeah, there was a. Uh... Yeah. Do you remember that movie? Uh, uh, something about Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. Yeah. Right. Well, like he's the. Uh, he's the he's the boyfriend before the guy you end up marrying. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's fine. I, I'd be okay with it. Because too. I, I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, like the, the inception is, uh, uh, I may not have enjoyed like the most successful periods of some of those bands, but, um, but I was, I was there at the inception, you know, and, and like, it was, that's an exciting time to be making, like designing the first shirts and screen printing them yourselves and dubbing the demo, you know, dual cassette deck uh, thing at the merch table at a show. And, you know, like a lot of great fucking memories. And, and, and for most of those bands, I mean, uh, I, I think they upgraded, you know, Shai Halud, Shai Halud definitely fucking upgraded. I mean, uh, I, I love the demo. I'm really proud of the stuff I did with them, but um, it, they got Chad and they went on to just like be like a really 
defining sound of that era of hardcore and uh and i don't think anybody really did what they did at that time better than they did it mm-hmm. um yeah but i think that had more to do with with uh was it matt fox yeah the guitarists i mean like their their guitar work was 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 what really set them apart i think yeah that is the the thing that's why they've been able to like succeed all these years like with different vocalists every different time vocalists, different drummers different you know rhythm guitarists different bassists it's as long as matt fox is there it's like the songwriting is intact and it's got that flavor and and uh and that's yeah that's great i haven't i haven't i mean i'm not super well versed i have a pretty good um knack for uh sort of not really paying attention to bands <laughs> i was in once i'm not in them anymore yeah i don't know if it's uh ego or competition or resentment or just like i barely gave a shit about that kind of hardcore when i was playing it with that band i'm definitely not going to keep up with it now that i'm not you yeah know? i i honestly think it was mostly that like i liked what we were doing in shy Halud, but like i wasn't really listening to that outside of the band yeah once i wasn't in it anymore there was just really no reason to listen to it um definitely the same with morning again bird of alum and any of those bands but uh yeah but, but yeah now you get to uh you get to redefine though because your time was so brief that you're not intrinsically tied to Shihalud, Bird of Illumin, Morning Again. I mean, people know you were in those bands, right. but you were in them before the big record. You were yeah. in them before Revelation got a hold of them, before this one got a hold of them. Mostly Revelation, two of the three. Um, so you you get to kind of curtail that whole uh, recognition with it and right. do your own thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's also another uh, harbinger for the success of what of Damien Dunn because there's there's no expectation was put on it other than it's going to sound like Damien singing, right? You know. Yeah, I think uh, of those three, like Morning Again is maybe the only one that anybody really associates with me because the stuff that I was on did kind of get out there more. Yeah, the, the Shihalu demo was like buried for years before it finally came out and then it like barely came out um bird of alone and i never recorded with yeah the first release they credit me for a bunch of the lyrics and my artworks on there and stuff and i named the band or whatever uh morning into mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, i'm pretty much sort of not really uh part of that story and that's yeah it's been good for me yeah (laughs) so it's cool i'm also i'm also proud of it though i'm proud of i'm proud of uh being there at the beginning of all three of those bands those were all three bands that did like really cool shit you know Mm. um and contrarily i i was not there at the beginning of culture yeah you know i came in later i was the third singer um and then the fifth singer and then the fifth singer that's correct yep uh, but you're the person everyone ties to that band 
you know, yeah, the, I can't even name the other singers. Well, uh, in the very beginning, it was, it was Rich ended up singing. Well, they had uh, this guy, Mark Mitchell, was going to sing in the very first incarnation. He decided not to go to the studio the day that they were recording their first demo uh, slash seven inch. And um, so Rich ended up singing, playing guitar and bass. Uh, and then Josh played drums so rich was sort of the second singer um the first recorded singer but the second singer uh, and then i came in after that and then i left and mark the first guy came back for one seven inch mm -hmm. and then uh i replaced him again <laughs> so he, he was uh i guess first and fourth and i was third and fifth <laughs> Uh, what an incredibly incestuous and strange scene we come from. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Very weird. So the, I guess the next thing we have to look forward to from you is this new album. And that's probably not going to come until 2022, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah. I'd be surprised if we're even done mixing yeah, we'll probably finish mixing, I don't know, February or March or something. Right. We're sort of chipping away at it a couple. The, the The songs are all written, but we're we're mixing like two songs at a time kind of in between. Uh, James Paul Wisner, the same guy that's worked on a bunch of that other stuff, uh, in between his other projects, he's sort of squeezing in a song here and there. Um, so there's that. Uh, but the other thing would be... Um, in early January, we start tracking uh, the new Ask Friends Rust album. You got to be fucking kidding me. No, no. Has anyone mentioned this? Because I, I, I didn't know anything about this. I think it's come up here and there, but not in a, not in a wide. Like wide I'm chewing, I'm chewing my nails here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been, we've been. Uh, since doing the first reunions in 2008, we've been like, let's write new shit. And we've, we've over the years sent a lot of stuff back and forth. And finally, uh, a couple years ago, it was like, all right, we need to shit or get off the pot. We have like a lot of demos. Let's sift through them. And last year we, uh, voted on, I guess the, the selection for the, for the LP. And then I think we must have felt like really accomplished just for having done that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just didn't do anything and after that. <laughs> so we've had this like Dropbox folder of like the demos for the um, for the eight songs toward this new LP just sitting there. And, and it wasn't until a couple months ago that we were like, all right, we need to record. We, we have to actually do this. Like it's, we're not done. We did just because we picked the songs, you know. Uh, so now, um, yeah, now we're fully uh, in in the mode of like tightening up the songs, and in, we have studio time booked for early January to start tracking the drums, and then after that, everything will uh, kind of follow. God, because the the last thing I heard from As Friends Rust was, uh, you know, you, you guys came out with the uh, 
you know, the Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that I, I bought that. And before that, it was, you guys came out with a uh, greatest hits package vinyl, uh, the yellow. No, we had two songs last year. Oh, yeah. that And the, the seven inch. Yep. I'm sorry. The seven inch that yep. came out on that European label. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, those were our first. That was our first new material in. Well, as a as a band in uh, 18 years, but for this lineup in about 20 years, uh, those two songs. And uh, they were really well received. We were, we were pretty excited. We were like, oh shit, people, you know. People don't forget. People don't forget. I think it still felt like us, you know, to them. They kind of felt like they were a lot of like, uh, you know, it was smart out like like the the vocals were very smart alecky on them yeah you know like it felt like you didn't miss a beat <laughs> yeah it's like it's like you didn't go anywhere it's it it's like the equal vision ep and then those two songs like there wasn't really too much of a disconnect uh conceptually speaking right yeah and what's cool is is uh this lineup is the second lineup which is uh to me, sort of the 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 real the real as friends rust, um, the uh, coffee black era is what I always call it. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't the lineup of the Equal Vision or one. Well, it was m- myself and and Joe, uh, who's responsible for a huge part of the as friends rust sound, like those guitar leads. Um, we were on those, but mm-hmm. uh, but the rest of the band from the second lineup was not. And now that's what we're who we are. And um it's interesting to see the second lineup writing stuff that falls right into play, like makes complete sense um coming after the stuff that succeeded them. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, yeah, we're uh we were really happy with the reception uh that those two songs got. And now this album I think is gonna be like kind of more of that uh so we're pretty psyched now all um, you probably can't say who's going to be putting that one out but i'm sure it's not just going to be a little offshoot label i would imagine there's going to be bigger heads wanting a piece of that action at this point (laughs) it's you know i don't know maybe maybe whatever's next if there's something after that Mm -hmm. our rate that may take like another 20 years but um we we shopped the idea around uh to be fair these labels were hearing from a band that had been mostly inactive you know for 20 years and we weren't willing to share any demos um Mm -hmm. so i think there's only so much credibility that they're gonna kind of you know um charitably kind of <laughs> you uh so it was a little it, uh it, it was a little tough when we were shopping it around but in the end uh, a label came a, a, around that we were like pretty excited about uh that is uh you're based in europe but like doing pretty awesome things so we were just like yeah fuck it we're good this is kind of perfect 
I, I think I have an idea of who it's going to be, but I'm not going to say because I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> that's if I'm right, that's going to be that's going to be a pretty big coup because it, it seems like the best hardcore albums are coming out of this area of Europe, uh, you know, in Germany. And man, it's just it's a great time. It's a great time again, like you were saying before. I mean, bands like Be Well. Be well put out one of my all-time favorite hardcore albums, and it's by guys my age who were in viable bands 25 years ago. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's an amazing time for you guys to come back. Yeah, isn't that cool? Isn't that like kind of weird? I mean, I, I would say there's still a generation of of you know 19 year old hardcore kids that probably hear things like Be Well or whatever new as Ferns Rush hit, and they're just like they they still hear just like dad's playing hardcore but like fine you know that's there's no way they were gonna accept anything coming out of like any kind of salt and pepper you know like <laughs> uh dudes and that's fine but like all things considered uh it is pretty wild to um you know bands didn't have a very good the track record was pretty abysmal for like bands disappearing for more than 10 years and then coming back with an album and it was always just super diluted uh just bullshit right yeah, yeah. reunion show nonsense yeah really phoned in the the be well stuff is like really energetic really well played really like you know um intense uh, uh lyrically prescient you know yeah yeah if anything like to me sometimes it's almost like too intense like the the lead guitar they're just leads everyone it's like oh my god these guys are just they're definitely not uh being you know 40 something 50 something year old like lazy kind of just dialing it in kind of cashing in kind of it's it's uh it's yeah it's all they're all in yeah um that's pretty cool. And, and it's, and it's cool because, uh, that's only maybe the, like, what second generation of hardcore bands of people that age. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I would argue that the first generation didn't do a very good job keeping it up. No, no, I don't think they Except did. Like, I don't know, off maybe. Well, off was pretty good. I won't off lie. Good. But, um, yeah, I think um, I think I think aging hardcore kids is a pretty interesting thing, and it's weird because uh, you still feel sort of the same age, even though you've got a mortgage and uh, you know kids and whatever. You um, you still sort of feel like the same <laughs> like teenager, and uh, you don't really know that much more. No, so you argue that like it's legitimate on the grounds that like we're just as ignorant as we were back then. So we should be afforded the same, like, like, Hey, I promise I'm just as dumb as I was then. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird to be, I'm 45 and I'm not at all. You're 45. Uh, like yep. we're, we're, we're by no means the old guys. No. Not state. anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, and I think a lot of those guys are making really good music. 
I think uh, I think it's fair that a lot of the like younger kids uh, won't give a shit about it. Mm-hmm. That's fine. There's a lot more stuff going on at at that level, and by that level, I mean like you know when people are all in relatively the same age group and don't have the same considerations or obligations or responsibilities, kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are much more the backbone of that scene you know they're they're the ones that are going to see each other three four nights a week sometimes at shows yeah because they can't i can't go to fucking hardcore show three four nights a week i can barely go to three or four hardcore shows a year oh yeah i mean i've i've actually gotten flack from people like oh dude you're that's not your scene anymore. That's a, you don't put your time in. I don't see you at shows. It's like, no, because I have work. I have right kids. I got like, I have a life. And also, we don't know yet that that precludes us from being like viable members of the scene yet. Like this is still new. Yeah. It's still new for there to be like a generation like ours that can't make it to shows all the time. You know? Yeah. Um, so so we could be the, we could be setting the new metric and we don't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe the hardcore scene like is yeah, maybe it just exists over like Zoom calls and like hate five six videos and and they all have it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually somebody's gonna it's gonna have to give one way or another. So I hope it gives in our direction. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, man. I don't know. I yeah. you know, there's there's all this pressure to like even still like be hardcore and still be like you know but i don't i don't know i mean i still like i like playing that music i like listening to that music strangely more now than ever Mm -hmm. Um, but uh whatever i don't think it shows every night then i guess i'm just not enough of a hardcore kid i don't think there's any currency in that anymore anyway I, i i think that died right you know what I mean? Uh, to oh, some... the pandemic was the great leveler because for two years almost it was just like none of you guys were at fucking shows. Yeah. So now what's up? Yeah. Where's oh. your Where's your scene Are now? You more hardcore kids now because you haven't gone to a show in almost two years. <laughs> like, probably... oh, of course I am. Cool. And of course I am too. Fuck you. Yep. And I'm also like, why am I like trying to convince these kids that like I'm still a hardcore kid? I do I don't know. Well, now I just go to shows that I really want to go to. Yeah. It, it used to be I would just go to whatever one was happening when I was a teenager. It's like, oh, there's a show tonight, a show. Didn't matter who was playing. Yeah. And we'd all play that game where if we didn't like the band, we were this. <laughs> no, now I'm the guy that's like, uh, shit, Integrity's playing in Cleveland three hours away. Let's go. It's birthday. <laughs> And don't get me wrong, there was a part of me that was like, could I go after this birthday party? <laughs> like, I could just jump in the car with my friend and like haul ass to Cleveland. But uh, yeah, you don't because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Someone will have recorded it or you just will forget a day or, day or two later, more likely. More uh, than likely, yeah. Because I don't really, I don't really watch live i mean i've there are a couple of i've watched like the like a there's a golf uh sorry a gulch set that uh 856 uh did from a from a 
this is hardcore or something that I've watched a few times and like I've watched a couple of like turn style sets live and you know it's it's cool sometimes yeah but ultimately like they're right you got to be in the room and uh and I'm right that like I can't really make it so yeah I don't know in the meantime I listen to a lot of fucking new music a lot more than uh, other people my age so I feel like I'm I'm doing my part in sort of like keeping up and I, I definitely uh, am not doing the whole like, you know, anything after 1997 is bullshit. You yeah. Know? Hardcore died when I stopped going to shows. Uh, no, it didn't. It's alive and well and it's pretty fucking great. That's that was my beef with that American hardcore documentary where at the end of it, the dude's like, and then hardcore died. It's, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Really? OK, honey. <laughs> And wasn't that only like 85 to 90 to 90 or something? It was, it was like 85 to 89, 90. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. yeah. And the dude ended up saying something really, really transphobic at the end of it about RuPaul walking past, uh, uh, walking through a hardcore show on the Sunset Strip in high heels. And he said, and that's when I knew the scene was, that's when I knew hardcore was dead. And I wanted to reach through the screen wow. and, and grab the dude by his face and just smack it off the pavement. Huh. Like, like that really got said. It's like you piece of shit. I don't want to be associated with Sorry. something like that. <laughs> and granted, the eighties was 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 a great time for hardcore, and it was sort of like the genesis of so much of that shit. But like, uh when you look at like kind of the bigger bands of the 80s the um there wasn't a whole lot of range no the range that was there was basically just like regional you know it was like you had regional sounds but like the range i mean like i don't care if it's minor threat or the west coast version uniform choice or even like negative approach or whatever like there's only so much they're not all the same but they're you know it's it was a pretty small circle sonically mm -hmm. um I, I would argue that the 90s as much as it gets made fun of for the for the jenkos and bandanas and you know chuggy you know whatever uh the 90s, especially like the first half, were really innovative. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. From from uh, from all the post-hardcore stuff starting from, from quicksand, shelter, all of that kind of shit to like all of that kind of like outspoken sort of new age sound, you know? Um, bands like incorporating sort of like hair metal kind of cock rock like guitar lakes and influences and, and Swedish shit and uh, uh, and the the amount of bands that were actually inspired by Jane's addiction in the hardcore scene mm -hmm. it was unbelievable it was unbelievable the amount of bands that actually like were inspired by like My Bloody Valentine Jane's Addiction The Smiths yeah I mean, it, it, that's what made it so amazing. Yeah, yeah. And like, well, I think the '90s are sort of given a bad rap because, like, when people think of '90s hardcore, they do just think of like 
uh, poem, they, they think of like Earth Crisis. Mm-hmm. It's just camo shorts, bandanas, and like, you know. But there was so much going on in that first half with like Mean Season and Split Lip and Endpoint. And like, there was just so much weird, weird shit. I mean, the first half of the 90s were just weird. And that's what I loved about like coming into hardcore during that era was like, you know, uh, I didn't know what to make of it. Oh, yeah. Even like going to like some of the more widely attended like pseudo hardcore shows almost I would call them because like you'd go to see Life of Agony right when River Runs Red came out and it'd be them and Sheer Terror on tour together with a bunch of more regional hardcore bands opening like there's not one band on that bill that sounds remotely alike right yeah. you know what I mean it, it's that that was a that was just the magic of it yeah yeah and it seemed like the 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 goal at the time was not to sound like anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was trying to really carve their own niche. Like there there was not a whole lot of like, uh, oh man, I love I love those who fear tomorrow. Let's start a band that sounds just like Integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of like the way innovation is supposed to work, where you just sort of incrementally improve upon or tweak elements of something that came before you um there was a lot of that but i would say that like it wasn't even necessarily incremental like it was it was big jumps i mean the leaps you know like the the jumps from like ssd to you know yeah mean season are like how does that happen in the span of that you know of a handful of years yeah um yeah, Snapcase. And, and again, like everybody just sees like, it's just funny, you know, because everybody has frosted tips and they're wearing giant shorts and like running shoes. But like, listen to what they're playing though. Yeah. Like, why is Snap, Snapcase writing that kind of shit in like 93, 94? Doesn't even make sense. I think that's what's, what's happening now again. I really do with, with these new crops of bands these younger bands i mean some are trying to emulate the 80s of course but i think there's a lot of very innovative music right now yeah 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 again you're picking a great time to bring it back because you're going to be more at home now than you probably were then (laughs) yeah probably i mean and if nothing else there's none of that like uh that shit, you know, that I was complaining about earlier happening is mm-hmm. not in the throes of a of a a Thursday thrice uh, glass jaw grade boy sets fire thing, you know. Mm. Um, or maybe you will get famous. <laughs> maybe and no, I don't think anybody our age is ever gonna. No, I, I think uh, yeah, I don't think that's ever happened. No, you need time to tour need time to tour and then even if you can tour then everybody sees that you're just a bunch of like graying balding dudes with like dad bods and like (laughs) no now that they see you they're just they're sure that like you're not the band for them yeah yeah 
yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird thing. I don't know. Then again, like, well, they have the benefit of having like a, a legacy, but uh, you know, bands like Propagandi or or Bad Religion keep like putting out like great shit. I mean, Propagandi arguably just like keeps getting better and better. Well, yeah, they well they keep getting more metal. Yeah, yeah, much more metallic, much yeah. more. Uh, just meaner and faster and heavier. Um, Hard to believe that's the same band that wrote How to Clean Everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Without John K. Sampson, he <laughs> he's not there anymore. But was he the weaker than's guy, the bassist? Yep. Yeah. He was. He was the uh, the sappy, gooey center at the heart of an otherwise very political band. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I think there is a, there's a facet of hardcore now um, that's a lot more DIY, a lot more, you know, they'll, they'll put their shit out only on tape. You cannot stream their shit. Like maybe you can find it on Bandcamp, you know, but, uh, and that's cool. Uh, but those also tend to be the bands that are really aping like 80s shit. Yeah. So those are the people who I don't think are going to give a shit about a new As Friends Russ record. But uh, in all fairness, like, I don't really give that much of a shit about what they're doing. Like, I've already heard, you know, yeah. they heard, they're doing it well, but like, come on. Yeah. We were there when it happened. Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. And in a few years, they'll be doing something else. More than likely. Yeah. So I guess to kind of take everything home and wrap it up because dad's got to go to sleep and i'm sure you do as well yeah because it's almost two o'clock in the morning holy shit, shit. we've been doing this for a while i um, i guess uh what would there be left for you to leave us with just you know uh, your parting words i don't know that i have any <laughs> uh I don't know. I'm still, uh, I never stop being completely kind of like dumbfounded uh, when I get invited to be on a podcast <laughs> or, uh, you know, when I talk to someone who's actually heard Bridge Burner on Body Shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've I've been saying this I think since I was younger and more active and still like fully in it, but uh it's it's such a weird and special thing that we've sort of you know carved out for ourselves, uh where um where yeah, you can just be some fucking some dude with uh with a microphone and you write a few lines and you know that shit just uh it travels it just kind of reverberates around the world and it's it's always like really interesting to see like where it landed and who reaches out because it meant something to them and they want to talk or interview you or you know learn more about a song or a release or kind of understand it better and uh or when they they identify with it on a personal level 
especially when it's something that um, you thought when you wrote it was so subjective that nobody could identify with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come to find out that like a lot of people identify with it, even if they're interpreting it slightly differently. Yeah. Um, that shit is just, uh, I guess that's part of like, you know, waiting in line. That's, that's, that's the part of like standing in that line for 90 years or whatever. That's, uh, that when I do go through that door, ultimately that just kind of vaporizes me and my whole history with it. Um, that will have been, there'll be more history to vaporize, Mm -hmm. you know? because of things like that, because of those, uh, connections, you know, because I mean, uh, and there's nothing wrong with like, a a simpler life and a smaller world, you know, but like, I could have easily just kind of, yeah, stayed in the neighborhood and not written anything or recorded anything that reverberated anywhere and landed anywhere. And, um, And that's cool too. If anything, maybe I would have found, you know, I, I would have found uh, I would I wouldn't rely on that validation to sort of like um, give me a sense of sort of you know, self self worth. Um, but uh, this is where I am, and that's what's happened. And it's like it's pretty fucking cool. What you Weird. what yeah. you've accomplished echoes now. It, it, it has its own life. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. It's cool. And it just sort of makes me sort of feel like uh, it's bizarre because I have like those artists, you know, that uh, did that for me. And it's weird to think that I'm one of those for somebody else. But you are now. Yeah. And you have been for over, over, over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the future shit will continue to reverberate, but uh, I'll still be at it. So, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping to just uh, end up maybe like some of those older other older artists who just keep making shit to the point where no one even pays attention to it anymore. But it'll still be there if anyone does do a Google search or a <laughs> go down a spotify wormhole um i'm gonna keep doing shit i guess i don't know it's uh, you know at the time when when those forces within as friends russ were hoping to be more commercial and more radio friendly um the the problem the rift was that like there was never any part of me at that point that had ever wanted to make a living off of music Mm -hmm. i felt like music was just something i fell into it wasn't really me um and now i'm kind of reaching a point where i'm just like now at 45 i've finally kind of out loud acknowledged that like uh i always have to be making music yeah you know i'm always listening to and or making music and at the time it was just like i wasn't i was a dude who you know drew or painted or wrote or like wanted to do some other sort of designy thing or I don't, I don't know but music wasn't it and uh 
I don't know that I want to make a living off of it now. I'm, I'm, I like the stability that I have now, and that's a pretty risky, you know, road to go down. But um, yeah, but I have sort of realized in my forties that uh, it's a much bigger part of me than I kind of had acknowledged until very recently. Very recently, all that history, all those releases, like that was all sort of a fluke in my mind up until just a couple of years ago. I was like, oh shit, it's not just a fluke. It's not just something I fell into. Uh, it's something that like I need. You know? yeah. And I think when I was just a vocalist, it was easy to sort of write it off as like something uh, accidental. But now I'm at a point where it's like, uh, I'm writing the music, I'm programming, you know, stuff. I'm, you know, like, uh, I guess I'm, you know, more more in it than i realized yeah now it's intrinsic to your being yeah yeah and fuck that's incredible <laughs> this has been an incredible conversation my god i've never sat with anyone for almost five hours on my podcast well, I, I will tell you man i go like every single person i've done an interview with it's just i mean this is longer than what we, we started at nine yeah so we're going on four hours yeah yeah we're going on five hours what the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah this will wow. be a two a two-part episode yeah they they end up being two-part episodes they're never this long this might be a three um but uh yeah but par for the course i my soft kill interview was th three hours and change so yeah makes sense but i'll wrap it up here because i'm gonna crash on you but i really appreciate you coming on here and being so forthcoming and having such an excellent conversation with me thanks man thanks for having me yeah this was this is great i never know how it's gonna go and it was you know it was, yeah it's once you get past the music stuff that it starts to get kind of interesting yeah um it, it was interesting to talk to somebody else who's been, you know, in those programs and sort of indoctrinated into the same sort of belief system and also walked away from it and kind of just been like, if I just do this, I'm fine though. Yeah. Maybe there's other shit you can't do, but like, it just shows that it's not so binary. It's not so like black or white, right? No, there, there there's no, there's, it's not codified. No. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Sounds I, like you've had one too. Yes. Yes. It's been a wonderful, crazy, ridiculous life. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm only halfway through it, as are you. Yeah. All right, my brother. Yeah. Thank you so much. And maybe I'll talk to you again soon when the next album's coming out. All right. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, brother. Cool. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been part two of my interview with Damien Moyal of Damien Dunn as Friends Rust and half a dozen other incredibly important hardcore bands. This one was a real pleasure for me as I've been an incredibly big fan of everything he's done thus far. It's great to actually interview someone that you feel a true connection with and that's what we had here 
I really, really, really appreciate the time and thought and courtesy he gave to us, as he is one of my all-time favorite musicians and just an incredible guy. I'm so lucky to be doing this. I say that often, and I mean it every time, but it is my distinct pleasure to bring conversations like this to you folks week by week. I know this one's a day later due to the holiday, but I'm glad you stuck around. I've been Peter. He's been Damien. You've been fantastic. And I can't wait for you to hear what we have coming up next. From 3.33 a.m. studios, this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Good night, everybody. Go dark with me. Won't you go dark with me? We'll fold ourselves into each other's arms till we're mummified. At the end of a world that can never seem to get it right. And we'll melt into each other's hearts as we liquefy. If we can. Dark with me.